Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Yeah, great. It's exciting. I'm speaking to like a real life poet. <laughs> See all these interesting people that you get to meet because um, your pals also have interesting friends. They are. See? Who knew? I know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I will say that I am speaking to Jane Bonnyman. Um, and Jane and I have never met, but we're met- meeting over the internet, which seems to be a theme in my life right now. But hopefully we'll meet in real life one day. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> And um, you are the first poet on the Bra and the Brave, Jane. Wow, fantastic. Yes. Privilege. So, gosh, all the questions that I have for you, but I guess initially, if, if we're going to go chronologically, when you were learning to read and write, what captured your imagination? Oh, my goodness, way back then. That's a long time ago. Um, well, I I think my, my dad was really good when I was young used to read a lot to me and used to ask me a lot about books and things so um and the house was full of books so I think um you know just some old favorites Winnie the Pooh is a real favorite of mine but he did used to read things like um remember he read Hiawatha to me and that's got a real sense of rhythm in it and I loved that and my uncle gave me this book of children's verse and I had amazing pictures in it that went with each uh, poem and I didn't even realize I was reading poems actually but I just loved the pictures and I used to read that book all the time and the pictures are so kind of um vivid and there was one about a cat and I loved cats and there's one about a tree that had sweeties on it and I love sweeties <laughs> used to read that book all the time and I wasn't aware that it was full of rhyme and rhythms and all that kind of stuff I just thought that was great and I've still got it actually and I think that was maybe the kind of beginning I don't know but yeah my dad was always a big kind of influence on me so yeah it's it's fascinating though like the books and the stories that you remember from your childhood you know like Enid Blyton the faraway tree for me yeah. you could just taste the cookies that she was describing like oh, I can yeah. still vividly remember that yeah yeah I mean I'm such a foodie so anything that had any reference to eating picnicking uh sweets oh my goodness uh, my mum was a, a dental nurse so I was never really allowed sweets so anything mentioned that I'd be like oh my goodness let's read that like living vicariously through <laughs> Yeah, all these characters. Yes, I'm just looking at the pictures going, oh, that was just reality. <laughs> Did <you eat> that? <laughs> yeah, it still continues actually. Anything about food, and I'm there. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> So then growing up, did you just continue that love of reading and, you know, have particular authors or poets specifically? Yeah, I mean, I'm an only child, so I think um, I was spending a lot of time by myself uh, and in my imagination uh, growing up. Yeah, I read Enid Blyton and I read, um, I really got into Agatha Christie actually when I was a bit older. But I like these kind of series, like the Chronicles of Narnia and stuff. And I'd read one and then the next one, the next one, um, and get really into them. And actually, I, I was quite 
Um, maybe slightly kind of nuts because I used to really absorb the world to the point that I thought I was kind of in it and would start sort of wandering around the garden and think I was in Narnia and stuff. So maybe that's why I didn't have many friends until I was a bit older, but um, and just just completely loved escaping. I think it's just the escape and thinking, gosh, you know, this world is completely different to mine. And, you know, how how exciting is that? So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. When you sort of have probably quite a strong imagination. And so I think um, when I was a kid, it certainly was really good fun to escape. So, yeah. So I read read loads of things. But... Did you go on to study English then? Yeah, I did. I did. So I wasn't, it's weird because I wasn't very good at English, I think, for a while at school. Um, I was at a school with a lot of quite intimidating people that I thought were much more clever than I was. And uh, I never said anything. And I think it was third year, I got this teacher who, I don't know, there's always one, isn't there? She, I remember her, I got a really bad mark in a test and she took me aside and, and all the rest of the class had gone. And she was like, do you know, you know, don't think about that, Mark, because you're really good at this. You can do this. And it was a bit of a kind of pivotal moment. And then I was like, oh, my goodness. And then I read she taught Jane Eyre, which then changed my life, actually. I, she taught it so thoroughly, actually, page by page. Absolutely adored that book to the point that I dragged my parents down to Haworth, where Charlotte Bronte's from. And we're all stomping around yours and I'm looking for... Mr. Rochester and completely obsessed. Um, again, it was inhabiting that world, just completely entranced by it. Probably quite an obsessive way now I look back on it. Uh, and then the Brontes and stuff like Wuthering Heights, that was a huge pivotal thing for me because I really um, thought, God, these are really powerful, actually. It's not just about imagination. This is like really powerful kind of stuff. Uh, then went on and then I, I got quite good at English and then that changed things and then yeah went on to study it so it just shows you those teachers like you say there is always one you know I had a teacher in Miss Curly she was like almost like a character out of a book herself and the way that she loved reading and you know she loved stories and, and you just fell in love with anything that she was putting in front of you just yeah. because um she created that that world that you could really let your imagination go wild and um yeah, you're terrified of her. Absolutely terrified and putting anything in any, you know, anything you'd written, you were just like, oh, geez, what's she going to say? Yes. But um, she had her own way of being supportive yeah. and it totally worked. It was magic. Yeah, a good combination. Yeah, I mean, my, I think my teacher, she was quite firm. She was quite strict and commanded kind of respect, but she was very compassionate as well. So it was a good, mm. a good mix. I remember in first year, like I was so not a popular person in school. I had written something, The Legend of Draclaw, I think it was called, I don't know. and she made me read it out in front of six-year boys who oh, were, like, no. so cool. And, you know, and she was like, you know, this is a first year producing this amazing work, and, you know, like, obviously bigging me up, but in the same time totally doing nothing to my street cred. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. So I did grow to love it after that, but I was like, geez, oh, man, she didn't really help me out in first year. Putting you on the spot right away. <laughs> but so were you then thinking that, yeah, I'm going to go and study English and I'm going to be an English teacher? No, not at all. Um, I, in fact, it was the last thing because my dad, my dad was a teacher and he said, he said, Jane, whatever you do, don't be a teacher. Um, I know the holidays are good, but it's just not worth it. And he was like, well, go and do, you can do anything with English. You can, um, you know, convert and do any career. You could do law. You could do, um, I mean, I think he was probably thinking of like 
something with a high salary. Um, but I did my degree and then tried lots of things. I tried museum work. I tried antiquarian book dealing. I tried um, various different kind of education type things like National Trust tour guides and various other things to do with that. I was all interested in history and stuff like that. And then basically ran out of money. And at the time they were um, reducing class sizes in Scotland and they were uh, paying you to be to train as an English teacher and a maths teacher because they were short. Uh, so I got paid to do it. So I thought, right, I better do this. And in the end, I thought, actually, that's probably the right thing for me. <laughs> but, but I didn't see it coming. You know, I just mm-hmm. did more of a kind of uh, quick, I need to get a job and I need to get some money because I'd been doing all sorts of jobs, again, sort of... Um, book related like I I loved the book Brides Head Revisited and I went to work at Castle Howard which is in the film with Jeremy Irons uh, and it's just outside York it's a big kind of stately home the job was just to kind of take tours around the house and then to take kids um, on little sort of theatre tours um, of the grounds and get them to act out stories and stuff it was always weather like it is today it was like sort of in the summer, it was beautiful. Um, the grounds were beautiful. There were peacocks. Uh, they always had kind of food fairs. <laughs> and then I realised that I was earning £9,000 for the year. And I thought, gosh, what am I doing? Couldn't pay the rent. And so that was almost like my last. That was a swan song of all my funny jobs. And then I was like, right, I do need money and I uh, don't have anywhere to live. So, <laughs> and then I went into teaching. So, <laughs> oh, man, it's gotten in it. Sometimes the jobs that I love the most don't pay. You're like, I don't need money. And you're like, oh, yeah, actually, I do. Yeah. And I just wanted something a bit more reliable because I've been dotting between different things. And teaching was that. And it was actually teacher training was actually a really tough year. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I was thinking this isn't maybe for me, but, um, but I got through it. And then I did a placement and then and then I actually started to enjoy it. And I'm thinking, actually, this is this is quite good fun. Um, it's had its ups and downs, but in general, it's the right decision. Um, yeah, I commend you for seeing it through, even if you know that it was tough. Because having done so many jobs before that, and being you know having so much more experience of what you could do with the degree that you had, yeah, quite easily to be like, yeah, my dad was right. This is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's weird because the other jobs I'd done, I had gravitated towards kind of teachingy type things, like in museum and even the tour guides and stuff. I was also talking and explaining, and then in the end, I thought, oh, you know. Why do I just do this and then get big holidays? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, it wasn't quite the same. But, uh, yeah, I think I probably do. I probably do get that from my dad. And um, so he probably knew that, actually. <laughs> just trying to ward me off. And that whole time, were you writing at all? No. Well, when I was a teenager, I went through a phase of writing poetry at sort of two in the morning really terrible stuff, you know, 2 a.m., 2.10 a.m., blah, blah, blah. I think one was called 2.10 a.m. or something like that. Yeah, just real teen angsty kind of uh, stuff. And I didn't think anything of, of it. Um, I mean, at the time, I thought it was really profound and deep. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, but it was absolute rubbish, you know. Um, but so I did do that. And I think I, I did used to write a wee diary and I wrote story. I tried a few stories and things. But I didn't really see it as kind of writing. I just kind of saw this as kind of a hobby or something. I didn't really think, oh, yeah, I'm going to do writing. That just didn't register. In fact, all the way through my degree at uni, because it was kind of you're criticising books and you're writing stuff on critical theory and, and you're reading stuff and reading all these academic things, writing didn't really 
um, I didn't really think about trying it myself because everyone's like, oh, yeah, but you must have read a lot of poems and you must have read a lot of novels and stuff. So is that what made you write? And I was like, well, no, I just know because I saw that as a completely different thing because I was doing academic work. Um, and again, I was still doing the kind of uh, two, two in the morning you know, he doesn't love me and stuff. What is my life? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was still doing all that. But I didn't sort of marry the two on any level um, and just didn't think that, that reading poetry would, for my degree, would influence me in terms of writing it. In fact, in fact, I still see it as very different things, the kind of critical stuff and reading poetry as if you're wanting to emulate it and, and yeah. write it. I think they're two different kind of disciplines and of course I didn't really do it until after my degree and of course it's quite frustrating because I was at St Andrews ironically which at the time had some of the most famous poets in Scotland in the department I just completely missed that there was like Douglas Dunn was head of department and Kathleen Jamie all, all these kind of big Scottish names were there and they probably were running creative writing things that I could have gone to but well, to be fair though when you're at uni like there's no time I boycotted books for a long time after that degree I was like ah, I'm not reading another book yeah. you can't make me <laughs> yeah yeah oh totally I remember, I remember when I finished it and I thought right I just really want to do something practical I really want to like um work on a farm or go and um build stuff or something I just that's the thing I wanted to do was write and, and read and I was going to stay on and do kind of postgraduate stuff and I, in the end I just didn't because I just thought I want a break from this um and I had a whole year doing different things after uni because I just really didn't want to go in and continue I think I had done a big dissertation and lost all my footnotes 150 footnotes and I, they didn't save I don't even think I had a laptop I think they weren't invented then I don't know anyway but the whole thing was a nightmare and I had to go back to the library and I was there every night until sort of midnight it was horrendous and I thought god imagine if I'd done a PhD or something and this had happened that would just kill me I totally I can absolutely um sympathize with what you're saying about the degree is that intense four years of just doing the thing and yes. you know doing what's asked of you there isn't a lot of room for creativity and listening to your own voice no no, and I think I didn't really think I had one. Also, didn't really think I was entitled to have one because I suppose when you're reading all all these other things, you think, "Oh, that's that's amazing! It's great that they've sat down and written that." And why aren't they great? And that's what you're kind of writing about. And you don't even think at all that you could try it yourself. You know, it just didn't even cross my my mind at the time. Yeah. When was the like the light bulb moment? Then was there like a pivotal moment where you were like, I must write, and oh my god, this is actually really good. I quite like this. <laughs> I think. Um, I know. I mean, I think. I think after uni, I actually in the whole aim of kind of being practical, I, I decided I really want to go to art college because I'd kind of wanted to do that before, but my parents had kind of shot it down. Um, because my mum's very good at art and I think because she was good at art she didn't rate it so she was like oh no you know do do something better do English Jane and so I suppose I always felt there was this something in me that I really wanted to sort of channel in some way so um, I looked at art courses and then thought gosh you know I, I don't want another four years of this and it was all it all just was a bit too hard work to come up with a portfolio and do all of that so I kind of ruled that out um, and then I went on a few kind of um, evening classes in art. And then I was looking up evening classes in art. I saw evening classes in writing, mm -hmm. which was 
in memoir kind of writing, but the, the person that ran it, she was a poet. So it kind of veered into poetry. And I did that. I didn't necessarily enjoy it that much, but it planted a kind of idea. And then the pivotal bit was I went on an Arvin course, which is this organization that was set up by Ted Hughes years ago. And they have them dotted around the UK. So they have, uh, they're basically just kind of old houses that they've taken over and they run writing retreats in them. And at the time, there was this one up at Moniac Moor, which is near Inverness, and it was run by Arvin. It's now not. It's now run by Scottish something, some Scottish organisation. But I went up there and it was just, it was a week and it was a summer retreat. And I'd actually booked the wrong one because I thought it was an introduction to writing poetry. But it was for really good writers. It was like the opposite. It was for like people that had collections. I think I'd read the thing wrong and just thought, oh, that's great. I can get a place on that. And, and I got this room and the first day was maybe one of the worst days of my life because we sat around this table and it was all people with like two collections, all from London, all really confident. And then me. And I was like, Oh my God, what, what am I doing? Frankly, I'm looking for the email, like, what, what am I doing here? What is this? Yes, it was absolutely, I don't understand. I actually, in retrospect, don't understand how I managed to make such a huge mistake. But in the in a way, what happened was it was run by these two writers. One was from down south from London. She was creative writing professor at uh, UCL, I think. So she had quite a big role. And then another, the other guy was a Scottish poet. Um, who was quite local to Inverness and um, so it's very different kind of writers and um, I nearly drove home I nearly drove home but the drive had been so awful up from I was living in Glasgow at the time Glasgow and I went the wrong way I went up through Glencoe and then onto the A9 it was a huge mistake to me like four hours oh my god I'm with them. so I was like well I'm not I'm not doing that again I better at least stay another couple of days and if it's really bad then I'll have to go home the other way and then I spoke to the, we had a kind of one-to-one with one of the tutorial tutors and I spoke to the Scottish guy. I said, you know, I've made a real mistake. You know, I shouldn't be here. I'm a fraud. I've never done this before. Uh, it's like massive imposter syndrome right there, isn't it? Yes. I showed him one of my poems about my granny that I'd written and um, I was copying something and it had rhyme and everything in it. Uh, and he was like, no, 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 you stay, just stay. This is, this is really good for you. And he he was really good with me. Actually, he was like, "No, this 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 is really good, but you're not quite there yet. You just need to read a bit more stuff, but you need to stay." Amazing! I love that. Yeah, it's really encouraging. Yeah, I love how it like the whole idea of like going to a writing retreat seems like so romantic. It's like something of like a book you were thinking, "I'm going to go here, and it's just going to be oh, wonderful." And you're like, "No, it's not." Oh my god! <laughs> what even no. is this? No, it's not because I've been to other ones. It's just like the clash of egos. Oh, no, they're not always like that. But there's a few moments where there's just always a couple of people that you're like, oh, God, as soon as they start talking, and they just dominate, you know, and it's me, me, me. And it's always a bit awkward. And then you've got to kind of make meals with them. And uh, yeah, it can be a bit awkward. <laughs> Jane, I think you need to start your own writing retreats. I think you need to do it like Jane Bonnyman style. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's uh, and it's always in a lovely place. It's always lots of nature, and you get sent off to go on walks and stuff. But yeah, it's always an interesting mix of folk. Because I have been in other ones since then, like ones that were more suited to me. And yeah, interesting. <laughs> Did you write anything on that first retreat that you were like, 
do you know what? That was just like, I love the process of it. And actually the final product is something that I'm proud of. Um, no, I didn't write anything because I was so intimidated. <laughs> I love the honesty, yes. <laughs> Do you know, I went on another retreat. I've had really bad luck with retreats because the second one I went on was a place called Cove Park, which is near Helensborough. And they're kind of um, like an artist set it up, I think. And they're kind of like freight containers on a on a kind of hillside in the middle of nowhere. And you stay in this kind of freight container that's been converted into a kind of super modern writing pod. Right. Except mine was broken. And uh, you had like this wee hob to cook on. And I went in the autumn and it was freezing. Like there was no, I was absolutely frozen. I thought it was a kind of a workshop thing, but um, nobody else signed up for it. And they didn't tell me that until I got there. And so they said, there's no point in running the workshops because it's just you. So what we'll do is we'll give you a one-to-one session, but the rest of the time it's just a retreat. And so I had this week on my own in this free. <laughs> and I, I went for walks every day and I didn't write a single thing I was so depressed it was just like me this funny wee cooking hob thing there was a highland cow outside I was so miserable and I think I met I met the writer that runs it a couple of times and that was good I remember finding a hotel and having a scone and thinking that was amazing <laughs> I love it you're such a like you're like the food the food this is a highland was the best bit <laughs> yeah and I didn't write anything and then on the last night there was a knock at the door and this girl was like, oh, hi, um, we've organised a dinner up at the top bit. There's like a sort of main kind of house thing. And I was like, what? I thought I was here by myself. And she said, oh, no, there's quite a few of us. And I went up and there's like this whole wee thing. But that was my last night. That is so bizarre. Yeah. yeah these people organising these things. <gasps> oh, you need to get in about that. You need to sort that out. <laughs> You're like, you don't want to do when organising a retreat, yeah. guys. So I didn't write a single thing. And then, but weirdly, I came home and wrote because then I reflected back on it. I wrote a poem called The Walk, which basically was my entire time there. Gosh. It's walking. Well, I. So, yeah. And um, fast forward to now and the collection of poetry that you have produced. Is that um, almost like a journal of your life? Would you say that you could look back at your poetry and say that maps out what has happened to me, including the walks that I've had to take when I'm on a retreat by myself? (laughs) Well, I mean, honestly, I've written hundreds of poems now, but a lot of them are just rubbish. And I think you almost have to write about 30 duff ones for one decent one. Um, So I've I've got loads, you know, they go all the way back to then and the Highland Cow. In fact, the first one, oh, this was terrible. I did write one about that Highland cow that was outside the freight container and I got it published um, on an online magazine. It wasn't it wasn't good. I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, I got it published and then uh, I think it was maybe one of my first things I got published and then I went, applied for a job as an English teacher and the guy, the deputy head of the school had looked up, I'd said in my CV, oh, you know, I write poetry, blah, blah, blah. He'd Google searched me and up came this blooming Highland cow poem and he read it to me in the interview and I was absolutely, I was just like, oh no, no that, that's, like, that's like my first year story where you're like, stop talking, <laughs> stop reading my stuff back to me. Yeah, I, can, I was just like, oh no, how does he, how does he know that? I felt kind of like cheated. I was like, oh no, how's that online? And so needless to say, I didn't get the job. <laughs> they missed a trick, James. <laughs> 
Um, it's funny, the online thing is funny, actually. You um, you forget what's kind of online because you do readings and stuff and you do these different things. And then the next minute, there's um, somebody will say something, oh, I saw you online or I saw this. I'm like, how's that? So true, yeah. My dance career, like alone, like the pictures that are on the internet, I'm like, oh, man, I like <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> but I guess it's just that process and that, like, for want of a better word, the journey. Yeah. You know, and like you say, you have to write so many poems until you find, you know, you write the one that you're like, yeah, this is this is good stuff that I'm happy to put out in the world. And I think it's really brave, like, to put your anything that you create out in the world for other people to digest and have commentary on or to make an opinion of. And, yeah, I think that was, like, really brave of you in that instance to put something out whether I think this is good or not I've just I've, I've made something here it's here yeah exactly that's there's the cow does that you get easier take does, that get, <laughs> does that get easier uh, that, that process of creating something and then putting out in the world yeah I think I think it does because I used to be very when I first started I used to be like you know couldn't take any criticism at all and that goes way back to, I think, when I was at school, I hated people saying, oh, that's not good. And But then you get a bit of a thicker skin. I remember at that poetry, that the first retreat that I mentioned, um, I did have a session with the London poet and I gave her what I thought was my pride and joy. I was like, this is the best poem I've ever written. It's so deep. And she read the first line and uh, she then just scored, I took her pencil, just scored out the whole rest of it. She said, I quite like the first line, but the rest of it, and I just watched her hand just like score out the whole thing. No. That first line and do something much more interesting with it. And it was it was a hard lesson, but it was a, it was a really good one. I am your pal when it comes to not being able to take criticism. Like, <laughs> you know, I've had this conversation a couple of times, like just being not being told no enough probably in my life. You yeah. know, coming from obviously a privileged position in a lot of ways. Um yeah, and yet probably just surrounding myself with lots of people saying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do that, which is lovely, you know, and I have parents that were very much like, you can do anything, yeah. which has allowed me to do so many amazing things, and I'm very grateful for that, but yeah, that, um, that no, that's not great, or no thank you, like, I can think about times in my life where that's happened, and it's been it's such a blow. It is, it is. I, yeah, I think well, it was a bit of a blow and I thought, and that's when I was like, what am I doing here? This is, you know, awful. And then had the opposite experience with the other poets. So it, it's, it just, it's very subjective, the whole thing anyway. Yeah, you're like, I think it's good. Or, you know, just the process of writing it was cathartic or yeah. it then helps you to then move on and write something that yeah. you would deem better. Yeah, but I think the, pro- the problem with poetry is that when you write it about yourself in a kind of Sylvia Plath way, which I had done, you think it's blooming good because you're being honest and you're saying, you know, exactly how you felt. So how can that not be good? Um, so then you get really blooming offended when they tell you that it's not because you're like, that's me. You're criticising me. And then yeah, I guess it's hard to like separate the personal aspect yeah. of like this, you know, this mm-hmm. piece of writing. Yeah, yeah. But they're looking at it much more objectively saying, you know, we can tell from this that you've not read enough modern, you've read old poetry but you're not read enough modern stuff you don't know what's happening in terms of what people are writing at the moment and that is really apparent so back and do something. Do you um, have like what you would say is like a style of writing like a style of poetry that you produce or are you very much just inspired by lots of different things and your poetry takes on various forms? Well I do I do I think it's I've got two types of style it's weird one is um and I've written two wee books and they're both in different styles. So 
One is quite a kind of serious, um, descriptive-y, romantic-y, you know, um, quite looking at the visuals and stuff and it's all quite serious and that probably taps back into my old kind of being thinking I'm being quite deep uh, and then the stuff I write probably more recently is a bit more tongue-in-cheek a bit more um, ironic and a bit more kind of um, humorous actually and that that's kind of where I'm I am at the moment but I have written more kind of serious stuff in the past because I think sometimes when I do the serious stuff, I'm a bit too serious. And then when I do the funny stuff, it's not serious at all. So it's like, yeah, it's a real mix. Um, it's nice to have that um, ability to write both, though. That's a skill yeah. in itself to tap into both those those realms of yourself. And certainly, like Michaela had sent me um, oh, yeah. Spider-Man, the final chapter, which I love. <laughs> love that. I think, I think that was cathartic in that, you know, had so many bad dates that I just thought and I think because I was writing by then and I was writing quite a lot they just filtered into the the poetry because uh, after each bad date I was like oh, I'll write this down and then and then it became I realized I actually had quite a lot and then it became a sort of book <laughs> dinner with superman yeah so it's a bit of kind of everything it's um yeah there's a series of bad dates in it um and it's a, I suppose it's about the search for the the kind of ideal man mm. who doesn't at the end probably doesn't really exist but uh so I go through some fictional ones as well Mr Rochester's in there and then end up with a kind of um compromise <laughs> so it takes you on a bit of a story it's got a bit of a narrative in it so it, it begins with a breakup which is the the spider-man that's they're all true stories um a guy that took his jumper off and had this massive tarantula on his t-shirt and of course I, I hate spiders so much that I just screamed and it was so lifelike I thought it was then a sign typical English teacher response I was like it's a symbol that's it I always think happy with him um, so it begins with that breakup and then it charts kind of all the way through the kind of dates and the online meeting people uh, on, on sort of dating sites. And just that, you know, when it, that sort of initial when you've never met each other and then you go and meet in the pub and then something crazy happens because they're nuts. And then it goes all the way through the kind of um, fictional ones. And then it kind of ends up with actually thinking, you know, I'm expecting far too much. <laughs> from men what am I doing <laughs> just just have to go and compromise so it, it's a it's a kind of arc really and then it ends um with it's got a happy ending uh, great <laughs> how nice is that that you have that collection there of your life you know to look back on it's almost like diary entries you know like I cringe at the thought of anybody finding my teenage diaries you know you were talking about that angst earlier on I'm like yep yeah but yeah just um that it's all part of your story and at least you get a lovely set of poetry out of all these like (laughs) scenarios that you find yourself and you're like this will make for a good poem it's fine it's funny how um well none of them know um that they're they're been turned into poems at least I don't think so um because because I remember um meeting a guy recently and he said oh so you write poetry and I I said yes and he said oh what about and I was like oh just different things through my friend he found out that I write I've written about these dates and stuff and then he got all worried that I was going to be writing about him and yeah. Like, well, you just better step up. You just better be really good, and then yes, exactly. I really, really derogatory poem about you. 
It's your chance to be the best version of yourself. Exactly. So what is like your creative process? Is that you just take an influence all the time? Do you jot notes down your phone? Do you you know doodle do you have a pen always to hand well I think because people talk about you know if you're a writer then you write every day and blah 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 and I don't do that I think I think a lot um and I kind of I suppose I think quite a lot before I write something down so I get an idea um and then I'd be sort of mulling it over and then I know and then I sort of have this thought right I'll need to write this down at some point before I lose it and then I'll try and make time to sit down and then start writing it out. So I do have a book where, where I keep ideas. And then what I'll then do is if it takes me into something where I need to kind of research it a bit, I'll then go and look up notes. And sometimes I'll need some details for things. Like when I was writing the Spider-Man poem, I was looking up uh, different types of spider to see if I could get the right kind of thing for that and what kind of drawing. So just just getting some, some research. And then it sort of starts to take form. Once you get some interesting words in there, uh, and then it starts to kind of come together so all the time when you start writing it and you think it's going to go one way and then it just goes a completely different way when you actually start to write it. So it's like completely organic. You don't know. It's, that's quite fun because you don't know where it's going to end up, you know. Yeah, it's nice not to have any pre- preconceived ideas of what it's going to end up being. It's a bit like when I'm choreographing a dance, you know. Yeah, you've, got yeah. your, your, you've got your staple bits there that you're like, well, we're going to play with this. Yes. You know, you'll have your words or your key phrases or whatever you want to put in there but then it does take on a bit of a life of its its own yes yes absolutely it really does and you've got to let it as well otherwise it'll, you'll end up with something that's too contrived anyway so um yeah so you've got to see where, where it's going to go and go with it you know I've been speaking to quite a lot of musicians and songwriters and uh, you know I guess people reading your poetry will then take that on personally so I've sp- spoken to songwriters who were like you know I, I wrote about something really really personal to me but then someone hears that song and they really connect with it and they make it about themselves or someone they know and that must be a really unusual experience yeah. how, how people interpret your poetry. Yeah absolutely and I think particularly with this book actually you know a lot of my friends have read it um, and a lot of them have well have been sort of recently single or single and and I, th- I think um I've had loads of comments saying oh you know I really totally get that or that's exactly like something that happened to me a lot of people have then told me their stories and said oh well you think you're bad you should you should see what happened to me and they totally I've had some really lovely and then one uh has a husband of one of my friends he sent me a lovely letter saying, you know, I really enjoyed them and actually gave me a real insight, you know, into what it's like, you know, and I never thought about it. And uh, yeah, so it's just like from the other side, you know, people just are kind of reacting in ways that I didn't realise. Although I have had people going, oh, my God, I can't believe that you've done that. I could never, I could never open up I would never talk about myself like that and you're so brave and I'm not thinking oh what have I done <laughs> what have I put out in the world <laughs> yes oh no take it back take it back <laughs> but that's just being a creative isn't it you're wearing your heart in your sleeve and just putting yourself out there a bit it's almost like you can't help it yes yeah absolutely like poetry is truth anyway so you You've got to tell the truth. And if you don't tell the truth, it's not going to work. So it's one thing, you know, writing poetry, but then, you know, we've obviously touched on then putting it out into the world, having it published. Like, how do you even go about publishing your own work? Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a clue um, 
you know, sort of way back. Um, and I think I actually, I, w- I was, it was when I was living in Glasgow and I um, I won this kind of uh, mentorship scheme, this Clyde built poetry mentorship scheme. And you got allocated a kind of mentor for a year. And um, I had the unlucky <laughs> the kind of uh, unlucky situation where I the other person that won it was my ex-boyfriend <laughs> and so what uh, yes and so that that was an interesting scenario so you had to meet once a month uh with this at this poet's house but it was that experience because she um told you a bit I've, I sort of learned more about the journals and how you kind of it's a kind of like a ladder so you, you get them published in journals first of all and you have to get to know all the different journals and get journals that would kind of suit your style. And then you kind of build up towards a wee kind of pamphlet, which is what I've got. And then the next stage for me would be a kind of collection. And then after that, it's your next collection and so on. So it is a kind of ladder. And I, I it takes a long time to understand the whole kind of um, ins and outs of it because it's a funny world. The poetry world is a funny world. It's it's uh, yeah. lots of egos and um, you get a few nice people that kind of give you advice, but it's basically people just kind of um, every man for himself, you know. <laughs> so it is a bit like that. So it is, is quite tricky. Why is it like that? I don't know. I mean, it's just like, I think it's just like any other art form. Um, but I think maybe because it's that idea of the personal element um, and people are very protective over their writing and, and, and their careers. And I think it maybe does promote that a little bit because, um, because yeah, it's, it's this idea of the self is so bound up with it. So people do open up, but equally they're, they're quite kind of protective as well. So it is, is a mix. And I guess it's then just finding those mentors, whatever that looks like for you, you know, whether it's a particular, you know, you had the opportunity to have a mentor or just reaching out to friends who, you know, are also creatives in whatever field just to be like, what do you think of this? Or I was thinking this, or just somebody to bounce off of really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think think for me, because the poetry world, the stuff that does really well and the stuff that gets all the prizes and it's actually quite obscure, and I suppose for me, like my stuff is probably quite accessible, actually. It's not it's not kind of um, complicated and intellectual. Uh, and a lot of the poetry that's really kind of in at the moment is is very, it's very obscure. And, but I can't write like that. And I don't don't really want to either. And I think it's because I've got my mum in me and she has never really read books in her life. <laughs> She's like the opposite. She, I have to always in my head think, you know, could my mum read that? <laughs> I love that. That's important, though. Like you were saying, it's about truth. It's about being yourself and not obviously being contrived and creating something that really isn't you just because you deem it to sound more intellectual. And you're like, well, what is intellectual? Knowing yourself is intelligence, isn't it? I know. Exactly. Uh, And a lot lot of poets write for just other poets, really. And I, I don't see the point in that either. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. You've got to be yourself. Otherwise, it's not going to... It's not going to wash, so I think that's really important. But having said that, my mum's still not read my pamphlet. I need to need to get her to read it. <laughs> she came to my she, lunch. I'll give her that. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing, like um, events and and you know doing live recitals of your poetry. And is that something that you were up for? Or you did that just kind of happen organically, or well, it does. I mean, when you produce a um, 
our pamphlet and stuff that you do automatically get asked to read. And, and I think through being in Glasgow and then moving to Edinburgh, so I read quite a lot in Glasgow. I'd say it's maybe a bit easier to read in Glasgow than it is in Edinburgh because there are more kind of opportunities and there's more um, kind of open mic type things. Edinburgh, I find it a bit harder, um, but I had had done quite a, a lot of readings in Glasgow. And then when I moved back through to Edinburgh and I got the pamphlet published and stuff, then then I was asked to read um and I, I don't know, I, I'm always been quite an anxious sort of person. So I've, I find it quite tricky. I remember standing up. I think the biggest one I did was maybe uh, at Stanza in St Andrews. Um, I was asked to read at the Poetry Festival and that was maybe the biggest um, gig. That's amazing. <laughs> and I remember being quite nervous about that. But it was fine. It was fine. You just take your time. And, you know, once you start reading your poems, they're so familiar to you that you kind of feel at home anyway. So it's okay. But and I'm a bit, bit more used to it. I've also I also uh, have been asked to read poems at weddings a lot. So one friend of mine asked me to read them the day before her wedding when I just arrived at uh, where the wedding was, and she said, "Oh, you're an English teacher. You just you just rattle that off tomorrow, will you?" And I was like, "Okay." That's so funny. I have been asked to read at so many weddings as well. <laughs> it's like they're like English degree. I you're good at reading. And I'm busy sort of rehearsing this thing. Eleven o'clock at night. Oh God! So the, the 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 perks of knowing a poet is like you know people are like, could you just could you just write you know a piece of poetry for my event? You're like, it's not as simple as that. Yes. Well, I did do I did do a bespoke one actually for a friend. She said, oh, I want you to write a poem for us for our wedding, and I had to go and interview them and everything, and ask them questions, and then write a. And I, I decided to go for the the funny rather than the serious on that occasion. Um, but yeah, and then I had to read it um, kind of to them at the at the wedding. It was quite full on. Oh, that's full on. <laughs> so, like, you know, you know, doing recitals and readings and uh, publishing your work. Have there been opportunities or experiences along the way that you are kind of like well, that was a total pinch me moment or that was unexpected? I, do you know, it's sometimes I've had um, people come up to me at the end of things. That's that's when it's really quite nice, actually. So. I did a reading in Edinburgh and it was one of my old pupils from when I started teaching years ago. And she came up to me at the end. She was like, do you remember me? And I was like, give me a minute. And I did. I did in the end. And she said, um, oh, I miss, you know, I can't, I can't believe that. And I just loved your poetry. And um, yeah, I just think you're wonderful. And that was that was great, you know, Um had another people came to my launch, uh, people that I taught in Glasgow, and she came to my launch in Edinburgh. And I saw her sneak in uh, just when I was reading. I saw her sneak in at the back, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Um, so things like that, and then people saying, "Add some of the messages and stuff that people have sent me, having read the the pamphlet and and things like that." So that that's really nice when people um, say say that uh, and say nice things and yeah because I mean like it's that thing you know you enjoy what you do and you're not necessarily doing it for that validation from others but uh, yeah. it's always lovely to get that boost of confidence where someone's like that resonated with me or I really enjoyed that or I mean obviously the highest praise would be you know someone being inspired to then write Yes, yeah, no, I have. There was one girl that's I saw at the Glasgow Women's. I was doing a, a reading at the Glasgow Women's Library, and that was another pupil actually. She just happened to be there. I don't quite know. I think it wasn't to see me, it was to do something else. But she came up and she was like, Oh, you know, I'm going on to do English. You know, I'm going on to study English. You no, know, because I just thought that you were so great, great and stuff. And I was like, All oh, right, well, great. 
<laughs> so yeah, so that was that was nice. And you're still teaching English then? Yeah, I'm still I'm still teaching at We School Outside Edinburgh, but part part time, and then it gives me time because I find that because they're so different, like the the teaching the academic kind of side of English, it is actually it does take a lot of kind of energy to make up resources and read books and stuff and think about the pupils. And it's probably the same sort of energy that when you're writing a poem. So find it really hard actually to, I mean, I could, I tried working full time and did that for quite a few years and then thought, actually, this is my whole life I'm putting into this job and I want to do other things. So that's, that's kind of when I went part time. So one day, one day I might be able to just do the writing thing. I love that, though, that you've made that a priority, you know, and that's difficult. Yeah. Being a grown-up, you know, there's so many other things that overtake, you know, yeah, actually doing something that you love. And it's not to say you don't love teaching, but you've got many strings to your bow. Yeah. You're more than one thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's it's worked out well for me. I think that's partly why I produced the books, actually. I produced the pamphlets because I thought, well, if I'm reducing my hours at work, I better have something concrete to justify this. <laughs> You know, I'm not. I'm not just going to be uh, faffing around here. Let's let's try and like, look, mum, I wrote a book. <laughs> well, it's actually you no. Know, to be fair, it's just to justify it to my mother because she's like, "Why are you going part time? What are you doing? <laughs> how are you going to how are you going to live?" Uh, so it was just to justify it to her, and then I'm like, "Look, look, I have done this," and she was like, "Oh, very good." <laughs> uh, but you know, would you consider yourself solely as a poet, or have you delved into other types of writing? Um. I like poetry because um, there's a satisfaction in finishing a poem and thinking that's it, which you can't have when you're writing prose because it goes on, especially if you're doing a novel. And so I don't think I've got the staying power. It's a bit like the PhD. I don't think I've got a staying, the staying power for a whole uh, book. But I have done a bit of children's writing. So I've written a few poems for children and then I've done a wee story recently uh, for kids. I think this is maybe just through teaching because... I started to write stories around the kids in the class to try and get them to be a bit more interested in reading. So I rewrote a bit of The Hunger Games and put all the kids in the class in it. And then I did did various other things to try and get them to, you know, uh, listen (laughs) and to read a book. Everybody loves to hear themselves in a book, though. I remember we got a book when I was wee, and it was one of those, you know, those kind of pre-written ones where you just get to put your kids' names Uh in the book, and and our cat was in it as well, and it was the best thing ever. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's a bit of that. And then I've gone from that into just writing. Uh, I think because I've taught quite a lot of used young books for kids, so Roald Dahl and lots of other little books that I've I've done with S1 and stuff, and I think I've uh, try to write my own kind of version a few times so that's and that's just good fun it's even more fun than the, the poetry so <laughs> we'll see <laughs> and are you working on anything specific just now you have you got so obviously you were seeing that overarching theme of the the dating scene and you know relationships is there a particular theme that you are exploring now or would like to well I mean the, the pamphlet's finished but the poems continue <laughs> The dating thing is still a work in progress. So yeah, there's been a few um, a few new additions recently um, in terms of poems. Uh, so yeah, that's still going. Um, I've got a few other projects and ideas as well. There's another project that I started a few years ago that I still quite like to work on. I think to do with Robert Louis Stevenson. So I'm still, still doing things around that. It's funny though, because everybody's like, oh, you're not writing about lockdown. Are you writing about lockdown? You should write it. You're a writer. You should write about lockdown. But honestly, it's the last thing I feel like doing. I'm just like, 
Oh God, to be fair, are we going to want to read about lockdown after no. having experienced it? And that's the no. thing, that, you know, I am not inspired to choreograph a dance about lockdown, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I know, it just is not an inspiring topic. I just find it really tricky. So I have, I have to say I've done nothing in terms of that. I just can't reflect on it at all. I just find it a really stagnant sort of thing to, to write about. So, uh, yeah, so it's other things, completely different things that I've been... Um, thinking about but it's funny because after you've finished a pamphlet and produced it and it's out you kind of don't feel like writing for a while because you you feel like you've sort of done something but then you realize that actually no you you still want to do it eventually and it comes back and you you start up again um yeah I think it's important to take that downtime though like I've not really danced throughout this whole lockdown thing which at mm-hmm. first I was a wee bit like oh god what does that mean like if I don't want to dance you know I'm not like leaping out of bed every day yes to- yes to dance but I think that's okay because like this is just not a time for me to dance and produce stuff and obviously a lot of what I do is with other people so that's what inspires me to create work so no like I I think we all need that downtime to like let the juices flow and just um, listen to the thought absolutely because you can't be sort of creative all the time you know no Um, no you've got to feel like fill up the tank again yes exactly yeah that's what I'm doing at the moment filling up the tank Great, great, wonderful! If you're inspired by this time to create something that you know, not shooting that down by any matter of means, but but also writing poetry is a bit of an escapism. Like, and people reading poetry is for escape as well. So, if you can escape into a ma- your imagination, yeah, uh, from this really like unusual, horrible time that we're in, yeah, great, that's amazing. You know, your imagination is powerful that it can take you into another world. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I know, until this one sorts itself out. Yes, very much so. <laughs> so, Jane, I didn't tell you about this in advance, but I have a thing called the thingamabob questions. Right. And these are a list of questions that I have collated. I have selected a few for yourself. Okay. Um, right, the first one. Morning person or night owl? Oh, night owl. Oh, yeah. I would love to be a morning person. I would love it. Because I get so much more done. That's the creative in you. <laughs> you all just come alive at night. I've got all the yeah. ideas. You've got to be quiet and you can't do it. Yeah. And it's often that way where you, when I'm like, oh, I have to get this down. I have to write this poem. And it's always like midnight. Yeah, here we go. Uh, it can't just be like at seven in the morning. That's That would be great. And then you'd have a really productive day. <laughs> <laughs> the world needs night owls just as much as they need morning people, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, where is your happy place? Oh, now that's an interesting one. I would say um, I've got several. That that place that I told you about the the Castle Howard, where I used to work in Yorkshire. When I, when I think of happiness, I do think of that place because uh, it has these two um, lakes in the grounds, and it goes on for miles and miles. Uh, and it's just a stunning. It's a stunning place. Um, and if I add to that the food festival that they have every summer, then um, that would be my happy place. Definitely. <laughs> yes, sounds a dream. <laughs> but also I love any kind of beach as well. So a beach in the sunshine would do. <laughs> love that. If you could choose anyone to narrate your poems, to recite your poems in like an audio collection of your works, whose voice would you choose? Oh my goodness, do they have to be alive? No. Um, right, okay. I would think that I would have to, well, Seamus Sh- Heaney, 
who I, I absolutely love to bits, I think has a tremendous uh, voice. I would, yeah, I would love uh, if he had read uh, any of my poems. He has a beautiful recording of one of his, his poems called Postscript Online, and it's just the most haunting thing. So he's got a great voice um, for, for reading. Um, Jeremy Irons actually has has a pretty good voice as well. So I'm not sure that my poems though. And then I, I don't know, I need to think about that one. I think you should get your mum to recite them. Uh, no, she'd be like, what's that? What do you mean here? I don't know what that's about. She'd probably say that in the middle of the poem. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. I think you should make that happen. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> Here's a toughie, I think. Maybe not. If you knew you could not fail, what would you do? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. Yeah, I might steal that question from my pupils, actually. You can have that question. <laughs> uh, what would I do if I knew I could not fail? Definitely write a novel. Definitely go for writing a novel. Uh, and definitely writing a children's book or a series. That would be good. Um, I think also I would travel more because I've got a kind of funny thing with travel. I always think they'll end up arrested or something <laughs> if, if I go to some far off place. But I kind of secretly would really like to do that and just, you know, get on the backpack and, and take off. So I think I would I would do that and go to some really obscure places because um, I'm quite a chicken. Yeah. So I have this kind of real cross between wanting to see these amazing places and actually really scared that I just get food poisoning and <laughs> I am I am your pal literally <laughs> that is my like I love to travel but I've not traveled it's such you no. know like I go on holiday yeah me too you know, I've not traveled but it's just yeah. something that I would love to do I'm not brave enough yeah me too I mean that's exactly the same as me uh I'd love to sort of be wandering around a jungle or wandering around some far-flung beach in the middle of nowhere and thinking that's great but then I know practically that uh something would happen I'd get bitten by a blooming spider and then I'd be <laughs> be in hospital and Phoning my mom. Oh god, that would be a lovely like full circle from like the, the t-shirt with the spider yeah. on it to yeah. you know like I mean there's a book there. Jane, come on, do it, for the, do it for the writing. Do it for the writing. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Make for a good story. I mean, I, to be fair, a few more months in lockdown and I might just do it. You know, if we <laughs> ever get out of this, I'll be like, right, that's it. I'm not staying in the same place again. <laughs> If you could be a fly on the wall in any room at any point in history, where would you be? Gosh, that's a that's a really good one. In terms of writing, I would have loved to um, go back maybe to the to the Brontes and work out exactly what they were like because I've read a lot of the biographies and stuff, and I'm not too sure. Uh, you're still not exactly sure what Emily. Bronte was like and the relationship there and what happened with the brother and uh, so I would definitely want to be a fly in the wall in the parsonage that I think that would be good um, and also because I'm a big Robert Louis Stevenson fan as well so I think I'd like to check in to his house in Samoa as well and see what the relationship was with his wife because I've, I've written a bit about his his wife as well and see what that was like often I just think going back into the past and actually hearing what they, these people sounded like because there's lots of photographs and stuff but there's no voice recordings of of these really kind of 
famous people and you often wonder what they actually sounded like. Um, so I'd quite like to just to hear the voice. You know, what what did Henry VIII sound like? What 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 does what was his voice like? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And the last question I ask every single person on the podcast is what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Oh, I'm thinking of things that my mum says to me now because uh, <laughs> wished, get a lot wished, obviously, because I just talk too much. You're a podcast dreamer, Jane. <laughs> keep talking. Um, and yeah, I can tell you what my least want phrase is, which is book. Like that, that makes me book. My mum says that and I can't stand that. I know one's ever said that. I love it. She started to say it more often as well. It's really annoying. Um, so, and then I, I, another one I don't like is that shut, shut your geggy, <laughs> which is in a poem that I've taught. I think it's a Jackie Kay poem. And she lists a lot of kind of Scots phrases and this one, shut your geggy. But I've never used Have you used that? Shut your geggy. No, I wouldn't say that. But that's just, it, that's just your nice people, Jane. We're not telling people to shut their geggies. <laughs> um... So yeah, but yeah, no, I do, I do. I suppose my mum is the one. She she's the one that uses uh, Scots phrases. I think at me, but normally ones I don't like. Just normally because she's telling me off. <laughs> I love um, it. I love it. I also do quite like some of the words that we use to describe weather, like dreich. When you get things like that in Scots, really, because it's just spot on, isn't it? For those days that are just so miserable. <laughs> I know, and I have made you come indoors on the most, the, the least dreary day of the year. <laughs> I know, isn't it? <laughs> but tomorrow's going to be good too, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jane, for your time. It's been a joy to chat to you. No, at all. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's been great. And I have to give a shout out to Michaela, who obviously connected us, and now I'm aware of your wonderful work, so I'll be delving into that for sure. <laughs> Oh, well, I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) And whatever you do post-lockdown and all of this madness is over, I really wish you all the best. And um, I look forward to seeing what you're producing next. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, No, but it's it's been great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, And thanks for your wonderful questions. Uh, Superb. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Brawn the Brave podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.